на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome to the uh, the new Russian Football News podcast. Greeting you from 2016. So happy New Year's, Norvim Godum, as they would say in the motherland. Today I have two guests with me again. I'll introduce the first one. It's the editor back for his third appearance, I think, on the podcast. We've got Turka. Do you want to say hi? Yeah, hi. Thank you very much for the nice introduction. It's all right. And you are joining us from Raskula, just outside Copenhagen again, aren't you? As usual. Yes, lovely. Are you are you in the flat with the builders where they were um, sort of causing a few problems last time? Not this time. Oh, not this, ho- hopefully, some, uh, nothing will happen like that again. Okay, well we'll see, we'll soon find <laughs> out. And uh, we also you can hear his chuckle in the background. We also have, have Andrew Flint joining us from Tumen in Siberia. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's no problem. Um, I, I, you're at work, aren't you, Andrew? So hopefully we won't have any interruptions well, on your part. Yeah, I've, I've told everybody to go away so I can focus on the podcast, so all set. Absolutely fantastic. We've got a few topics to cover today. Of course, just before Christmas and New Year, the 2016 Euro draw was made. Come on to that first. But also, we're going to be discussing um, the crisis at Kuban Krasnodar, having quite a few problems recently. And also, the readers of the website will know of the the RFN Top 50, which is a list compiled by Mr. Flint himself. The writers of the website were scoring points on players and they were put in an order on an Excel spreadsheet. It's all quite simple, but we'll come on to that later. So first, um, the Euro 2016 draw. Okay, so Russia's group consists of England, Slovakia and Wales. So first they will play England, then Slovakia and then Wales will be the final group. So... Two teams qualify from each group. There are six groups and four of the thir- best third places will also advance to the last 16. So, Togan, I'm going to come to you first because now that Denmark are out, I'm assuming you're going to be supporting Spodenaya. Yeah, of course. Uh, I-, I wouldn't have anyway. So. Oh, really? Ahead of Denmark? Not ahead of Denmark, there but that's <laughs> my second team. Yeah, luckily you don't have the, um, the conflict of interest like Andrew and I. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky in that way, I can, we can say. Yeah. That's... Let's put a positive note on, on the Danish failure. So, <laughs> so how how do you um, sort of envisage the group turning out here? Well, I'll say that it's not the easiest draw for Russia, definitely not. And when I look at the three games here, the the, the second match against Slovakia is is the key match. I mean, I, if if they don't get three points there, I think it'll be very difficult for them to advance. Even if even from a third place. That's the thing. The third place is difficult to predict. I mean, it, it, it depends on how many points the other third places get as well. And I think you need at least one victory to uh, to advance from the third place. And even though I remember the match in 2007 between Russia and, and England, I think Russia will have a difficult time getting three points against England in the first match. Okay, Andrew, what's your verdict on the group? Again, you're with me on the conflict of interest here. Well, yeah, I, I I agree with Toka. I, I think the Slovakia one really is is the key. I think one win one win will be enough. I see the first game being fairly tight. Uh, watching England sometimes can be a frustrating experience for us, can't it, Thomas? Yeah, but, don't tell me. That. Um, I, I I see that being a draw. Um, really? I would say. Well, it's. It's, it's tough to call. It depends a huge amount on what the final squads will be and, and how adventurous they'll be. But, yeah, I, I agree with Toker. I think um, I think if they could take a point from England and 
go for the win against Slovakia, I think that would be that would be a, a success from the first two. So I'd hope for second or third place. I think. What What about the Wales fixture? Wales is a funny one. I can't make my mind up. I've been I've been mulling this over the last week um, because they. I you mean, clearly have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, faulty priorities, perhaps. Um, work comes a distant second. I think um, any international team that starts with Hal Robson Kanu up front um, is certainly not full of stars. But then, of course, Gareth Bale could do anything. So I'm not sure about the Wales game. I think England and Slovakia is slightly easier to, to envisage. So um, I will take that one as it comes, I think. And surely Gareth Bale is the best player in this group in the... Uh... On all the teams. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah, certainly the most um, unpredictable and, and influential on the on the outcome, I'd say, absolutely. I mean, what I would say is a lot's been made, and I, I personally have questioned it quite a few times, the the Russian backline is quite an aged backline and lacking of pace. And I'm looking at the teams of that group, I'm looking um, England and Wales in particular, both have very pacey forward lines, like you've mentioned, Bale. How Robson Carnu, I mean, he's not a Premier League player, but he is he is quite quick. Of course, with England, you've got the likes of um, Sterling and Kane, who are quite quick in their own right. I mean, do you think they'd be able, the defence would be able to handle those? I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be the first time the Russian defenders have to, to defend against against uh, quick strikers. But when that's been said, they haven't looked good in the in the Champions League lately for CSK. And I think that's that's definitely one of the weakest points in, in, in on the Russian team. Also, when you consider that they don't have a, a strong defensive midfielder at the moment. So that's that's definitely a big problem and something Slutsky needs to, to figure out. Because I think the Champions League proved that they aren't on the level anymore. They need to be to to make a strong appearance at the Euro. Do you envisage it being the uh, the last tournament here, Andrew? Um, I think so. Uh, the problem is at this point, some people would say he should be building towards the World Cup, as in already using the tournament as as a warm up. I think that's a bit disrespectful to the to the tournament, and, and I do see it being those two um, who will who will start. The token mentions the Champions League campaign of CSKA and I I was at the Manchester United game and I noticed that Louis which, which United very, game was that? The in um, in Moscow the oh, I, one. I was at the other uh, leg, so it's quite interesting. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. we, we have it covered. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the and what I noticed was that uh, he was playing Martial on the left. Now, if if you compare him to the left-footed Gareth Bale um, with pace, or, or whether it's Sterling um, on the left for England. I would compare the situation, and Martial was very withdrawn, which I thought was a mistake, because Mario Fernandes with pace going forwards, I would compare to Smolnikov in a way. Um, they both get forward a lot, um, and it could have exposed them, but it didn't, because Martial was was not pushing forward. So it depends for me how adventurous England and Wales are with their forward line to whether Ignashevich and Beditsutsky get exposed. I, I, think they, I think they will be okay because of their experience. Um, that's my gut feeling. Slovakia are also quite a decent team. We've had a couple of people helping us out on the RFM website with a group preview. The uh, Slovakia uh, contributor, Pierre, was um, sort of quite talking quite up about the youth of Slovakia football. So it'd be quite interesting to see if that youthful team impacts on the tournament at all. They could be possibly the new Costa Rica from the last World Cup, who, of course, um, went quite far. Toko, would you say the Russian tactics, I'm guessing, will be just to sit deep and hit on the counter? 
that's what Fabio Capello did, and it didn't work out very well. I think I think Leonard Slutsky he needs to he needs to be braver than Capello was, and he needs to be braver than he than he has been with um, CSK in the Champions League. Because when I look at the at the Russian team, it's very clear to me that all the strengths are in the offense. It's here we have the good the the midfielders are all offensive minded, the right back and the left back Smolnikov and Kombarov or Sirkov, whoever they use. So I think they need to to play on the strength and actually pick an offensive um, playing style. Anything else would be a mistake in my mind, at least. Okay, that's quite interesting. Andrew, would you sort of echo this sentiment? Yeah, I, I agree absolutely. I think uh, I think sitting back too much would negate the the talent and pace they got going forward. I personally am a big big fan of uh, Alex Shatov. I think. If he is given license to to push forward, it will mean that you know Zuba being isolated up front would be a disaster, um, and it would be inviting too much pressure on the back line. Yeah, I agree entirely. I think uh, the team selection could be could be very important. So hopefully, hopefully, um, he is adventurous. Yeah, the, you mentioned Zuba, which is quite interesting because at Zenit obviously plays the lone frontman, but does get a lot of support from that number ten, and also the wingers are actually inside forward, so they cut in on the other foot, so he gets a lot of intricate play into him. So I'm not, um, I mean, I assume Russia would sort of look to play to those strengths. Earlier on, Tucker, I'll come to you first. Um, sort of off air, I asked you to put together a, an eleven. Do you want to just read that out for me and the listeners there? Yeah, sure. Well, I have, um, of course, Igor Akinfev on goal. Igor Smolnikov on the right uh, back, Berezutsky and Ignacevic central defenders, Kombarov left back, then the central midfield, Pavel Mamay from um, Krasnodar, Denisov or Denis Glushikov on the defensive midfield, depending on who of them gets what, playing time in the spring. What formation are you playing there, Tucker? I just put them up in a plain 4 3 3. So you're looking at Denisov? Yeah, what? and then on the last uh, central midfielder, I can't, I can't avoid him, Roman Shirokov. Of course, I hope he'll get some playing time this spring. Otherwise, he'll be excluded. Probably um, go with Tagoyev instead of him. Then, then the the front three: Oleg Shatov, Juba, and Kukorin. Okay, Andrew, do you want to just run through yours? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I have the set the same back four and and keeper. Uh, I think it more or less picks itself uh, in my mind, anyway. Even with uh, Akinfeev's I... recent form. I I can't see I can't see past him. His recent form is one thing, but he he certainly has he knows the defence well. He's got the experience, and in my mind, he's the safest bet. I would I scribbled down a, a four two three one formation, um, and I I went for Mamayev and Glushikov uh, as the double pivots. I'm a big fan of Fyodor Smolov, and I'm trying to find a way in for him. So. I ended up with him on the left, Shatov on the right, and Zagorov pushing forward with possession, dropping back without possession, and Zuba up front. Okay, that's interesting. You've both um, gone for quite different sort of uh, offensive lineups, which is interesting. I'd, I'd love, love you to talk about that. Um, you've both included Alex Shatov on the right-hand side, which personally I find interesting, as he tends to play on the left as in it. I think it seems you're trying to fit in uh, various others around him. Uh, but what I would say, Tucker, is that you haven't included Zagoyev, who was, of course, such a, a great player at the Euros um, four years ago. Is there any particular reason for that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I selected uh, Shirokov over 
Chagoy. And I think you're right, he was good four years ago, but since then it has been... He has stalled somewhat. And I, I think Roman Shurikov, he's 34 now, and but I think he proved in the recent national team games, in the Euro qualification, that he still has the level for, for the... Um, for the biggest games, and I think he's um, he, he's the, the calm midfielder you need to keep possession in the team. Where if I was going to use Zagorov, I would probably use him a bit further down the field, as sort of um, a box-to-box midfielder who can who can or a deep line uh, playmaker instead. What's interesting about Zagorov is um, on the if you read the Russian top 50 website, if uh, there's a good stat in there that Zagorov has more yellow cards than this season than assists and goals. So that's um, not great for an attacking midfielder. Now, Andrew, probably the most interesting selection of yours is that you haven't got in Alexander Kokorin, who is sort of seen as the leading light of Russian football. Any particular reason? Well, I, it was a close run thing for me between him and and Smolov. And for me, what swung it in Smolov's favour is what I see as his intelligence up front. Um, I watched him closely last season on loan at Ural, and there he played as the lone striker, and and he he did it magnificently in the games I saw him play. And mostly this season, he seems to have played further wide but he's still been involved in a lot of the goals and assists and he has that ability in my mind to to read the game forwards um very well Kukorin, i wouldn't i wouldn't complain if he was selected he's he's got the pace and he he needs a confidence boost i think um so what happens to him whether he stays at dinamo this transfer window or not i think would be quite quite important to whether He's in the right frame of mind. He has the right, um, the right energy, the right momentum. So, I would be happy with either. Um, but on current form, I'm I'm sticking with Smolov. Of course, um, Kokorin rumoured with a move to the English Premier League, particularly Arsenal. There, his contract runs out at the end of the season. So, if a club was to pick him up, they could pick him up very cheaply in this window, or get him on a Bosman at the end of the season. So that. Um, Quite an interesting situation surrounding Kukorin, which we'll, we'll come on to quite a bit later in the show with the top 50. Toka, I mean, I know you told me off-air that you were sort of deciding between Denisov and Glushakov. Is there any particular reason why you've gone for Igor Denisov? I think Igor Denisov's um, top level is higher than Glushakov's, especially if he has to play as um, the holding midfielder. But then again, there's the, his whole situation with his atti- attitude and his problems. He hasn't played... Uh, in a long time after being demoted to Dynamo's second team, so there are a lot of uncertainties with him. I'm not even sure he'll be in the squad for next summer. I'm just, I'm dreaming of him having his uh, blossoming this spring and going coming back to his old level because then I think he'll definitely be a, a good a good player for Russia. Yeah, it's quite interesting with Denisov. It's not the first time, of course, he was involved in that spat with Alexander Kurzhakov at Zenit, where they were arguing about the. Um, the wages that their new arrivals hulk are on. Um, the other and, thing, and Antje as well, and it happened with Stanislav Chatushov as well at Dynamo. So it's the fourth time he's been demoted. Good old dressing room harmony, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is Shirokov. You've included that, Toka. Andrew, you haven't done that. Um, Andrew, is there any particular reason why? Because see, he is the captain after all. Well, I. I... I, I didn't include him in my first choice simply for the 
pace I would like to see them play at. I agree completely with Toker's assessment of him being the calm midfielder. And in fact, I I would consider playing him perhaps instead of uh, perhaps instead of uh, Glushikov in. And depending on what the game is, if it comes down to the last group game and it's on a knife edge, whether they'll qualify, perhaps he would be the right man for that game. But I, I want to half build towards the the World Cup, and I see um, I see him as being more of a an advisor, father figure, perhaps in the squad than first choice. But if he did play again, like recording, I wouldn't be disappointed if he did, and for obvious reasons, he could he could be of, of huge benefit. But I, I want to see more youth and energy in the midfield, I think. So, Token, you've selected Shirokov despite his situation at Spartak, where he's probably not going to be playing for the rest of the season due to a contractual issue. Do you want to just explain why you've still included him and just explain to the listeners a bit more in detail about the situation that he's in at Spartak? Yeah, he had um, a written down in his contract that if he played more than, I believe it was, was a 15 games this season, his contract would automatically be renewed with another year. And suddenly, Spartak coach Alin Chinev uh, decided that, okay, we don't want, or Spartak did, we don't want to keep Shirokov after the season. So he was put on the bench and he stayed there for the last the last half of the of the fall season. And this, this spring, it will be interesting to see if they actually are going to use him or if he'll be sent out on loan like he was at Senate sent to Krasnodar for example. And yeah. I I hope I hope he'll be he'll be playing some football. I don't really care where he'll play this spring because I think if if Shirokov is in in a, a good shape he'll I think he should be a certain starter for Russia. Or at least very very close to. And if he'll go to Krasnodar for example like last season, I think he'll he could do very well for Russia and at the Euro. Yeah, what I would say about Shirokov is when I first saw him a few years ago playing for Zenit, I thought he should have been moving to a, a higher league and I think he could have done a job in a, a more a, well a better league to be honest and um, unfortunately that hasn't quite worked out for him I've no, it's quite interesting here both of you have picked Pavel Barmaev in uh, midfield Andrew I mean quite an underrated player in the sport of now do you want to just explain to the listeners a bit about his style of play etc well absolutely I mean before I came to Russia I was I was completely unaware of, of him um, he's one of those who, who didn't stand out when I've watched him this season uh, I, I've been impressed with how he's he's aware he looks up he's he sort of thinks two steps ahead um, and and he's got a good eye for goal I like a, an adventurous player and he's certainly got a bit of spark about him. He's, he's the sort of player who will drive the pace of the game forward and he's very comfortable on the ball. So I I think he could become a, a key key part of uh, of Russia's midfield for the next few years. And for me, he, he picks himself. He, he has to start for me. OK, excellent. Um, outside of those starting 11, we also were thinking of some dark horses. Um, Tugan, do you want to go through a couple of dark horses for the squad, etc., that you've got in? Yeah, we have We have already discussed a bit about um, the problems at central defence, so I've looked at a couple of, of guys who can maybe play a role as, as backups for Russia. And we, are, we obviously have these guys, uh, Slutsky picked in the friendlies in November against Portugal, uh, Victor Vasin from CSK and Andrei Semenyov from uh, Tirek Grasny. But I think the most interesting option is actually Vladimir Granat fr- from uh, Spartak. He, 
he hasn't played much this season, but if he finds a new club this um, this winter and he gets some regular playing time in the in the spring, I think he could be an option for the for the national team selection as the first backup because neither Vecino nor um, Semenov had have the level for for playing at um, at the Euro. They I think they both proved that very well in the in the friendlies they played. So, Andrew, which outside dark horses have you got? I would be curious to see if uh, Elmer Nabulin was was given given a chance to shine because, I mean, he's he's a young guy and he's a lot a lot's being talked about him. What I'd be curious to see is whether he can he can cope with the step up in pressure and he would give a potential option without needing to disrupt the talented forward line. Um, you know, being a, an attacking fullback as he is, uh, it could be. He could he could add that little extra that you sometimes need when you know you're halfway through a busy tournament and I wouldn't necessarily start him but I think he he offers that option and I've also been curious to see how the Dynamo I call it an experiment almost this this season has gone and I've been impressed with Grigori Morozov um, quietly I mean again he's a, he's a young guy will it be beneficial to the team the squad as well as to him gaining experience i don't know but i would be interested to see him too because it's it's important that we do look to the to the future and and as we discussed the left back area is is not a concrete area of the team there's no standout candidate but i would be interested to see those two possibly speaking of dynamo we also have tasha who could maybe be included in Make for an interesting, interesting uh, tournament. I think I think someone we need to, to talk about is uh, Real Madrid player Denis Chadishev, because mm. for most people he seems like an obvious choice. He plays for Real Madrid. Of course, he's going to start for Russia and be the star. There's no doubt about that. But he played some very very bad friendlies when he finally got the chance on the national team, and he hasn't played much football this season at all. So I actually doubt he'll even be included in the in the in the squad, especially with Real Madrid's transfer ban, which means that I could see him staying in Madrid despite his lack of playing time. No chance think, under new coach Zidane, you don't think? No, I don't think. I don't think so. I think he'll he'll play the same players as as Benitez, but I have to admit I'm no expert in Spanish football, so I'm I'm interested in Cherishev as well. I I agree with what you say, Toka. Actually, I think. Um, I think he's in real danger of just fading out of people's consciousness by not playing enough top-level football. I know last season he played um, he played more finally um, for Villarreal, I believe. But it's I mean he's 25, 26 now, and if he doesn't get a regular starting place soon, he could be a wasted talent. Um, and I agree. I think he risks missing out on the squad. I think he probably will miss out um, for this summer. Do you think there's any chance of him moving back to Russia? He he himself has said that he he's not keen on the move. But do you think, in order to get into the team, he w- he would have to move back to the league, as all the players in the Russian national team are actually based in Russia? Yeah, I think that would be his best chance, quite honestly. And I I, I don't know how much his wage demands would be. If anything, that might be a, a stumbling block. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of clubs interested if they could negotiate with him. I think that would be his best chance. I don't think it means he would have given up on a chance of European football in his career. I'm sure he will always have that opportunity given the length of time he's spent in, in Spain. But 
I think that would be his best shot. So whether somebody will take a punt on him or not, I'm not sure. But I would go there. I would come back if he could. I think he still has a very good name in, in Spain. He did. Uh, as far as I recall, he had a very good season for um, for Villarreal last year. And I think if if he um, if he decides to leave Real Madrid, and if Real Madrid allows him to uh, to leave the club, I, I still think that several Spanish clubs would be ready to pick him up. And if he plays regularly in uh, this in Spain, I, I still think uh, Slutsky will will prefer him in the squad. I don't think you necessarily have to play in Russia to be included in the national team. But of course, if he decides to go to Russia, all the clubs will be waiting for him with open arms, and he could just have his have his pick among all the clubs and as you said Andrew he'll be paid very well I think what possibly what he needs is a confidence boosting season before the tournament I mean I would love to see him um, thrive abroad and Spain for obvious reasons being there already would be would be great to see him do well there I just I, I wish him well I don't want to see Russian talents fade away so whatever he chooses I just hope he gets regular playing time uh, even if he doesn't make the squad this summer a lot of people will remember, of course, that uh, Denis Cheryshev is part of the reason that Real Madrid were knocked out of the Copa del Rey this season as he was ineligible and uh, Rafa Benitez still fielded him. A bit, bit odd. You'd think either the player or the manager or both would know that that's the wrong decision. But anyway, it came back to bite him and perhaps that's made him a bit less popular at Real Madrid now. With the factors sort of the more general playing in the tournament side for Russia, is the first match on the 15th of June is in Marseille in the south and then they've got matches in Lille well a match in Lille in the north which is uh, five days later and then after that the final group game is against Wales in Toulouse which is sort of to the sort of south uh, southwest of France now the it's not not confirmed yet but rumors are saying that the Russian Football Union's first choice for a training base is on the French Riviera, Côte d'Azur. I don't speak French, so my pronunciation's awful. I do apologise. But what I would say is that base is quite... Although it's very close to Marseille, it's quite far from Lille and Toulouse. Andrew, seems a bit of an odd choice. It does, really, yes. Although, what I would say is that I've noticed in, in recent tournaments the quite a trend seems to be accepting that there will be long journeys for one or two matches, as long as the base itself is... Is right. Um, I mean, my personal opinion is that uh, I mean Capello's England camp six years ago in South Africa was the most horrendous decision of all time, being far removed from everything. Um, it was almost the 1970s, 1980s attitude of "we'll close you off for three days before games." It would make them go crazy. So, I mean, it does seem odd, though. I would have thought they could have found uh, something slightly more of a of a compromise, but. Perhaps they just wanted somewhere, somewhere beautiful for the players to relax after the games. Um, I don't know. It's a strange one, though. Token, do you have any sort of thoughts on this? Yeah, I think in a in a tournament that like the Euro, that could be very long. Hopefully, I think the most important thing is to keep the players happy, and by doing so, you need to find a place where you need to find a destination where the players can do whatever they want, where they can relaxed by the pool or they can go get some food or what, whatever basically they need to, to, to stay happy and I don't think the long travel to the matches is, is going to be that much of a problem especially not in France where it's quite easily to get around and it, the country is not as big as it was in for example Brazil uh, the World Cup two years ago so I think they'll be alright if they found the, 
if they found their place where where the players can enjoy themselves. Yeah, we might be seeing a few Russian internationals uh, on jet skis in the French Riviera, I think. The other thing is, in the knockout round, the Group B winners and runners-up play the first-place team, plays in Paris. The second-place plays in Nice, and it's Lille or Lon for the third place. It seems a bit strange that they would, again, choose that southern base camp if they've got a um, chance of progressing in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like I say, I would have thought it wouldn't be too difficult to find find somewhere with some entertainment within reason that would be a, a bit closer. I mean, it depends how they're actually planning to travel, whether, they, whether they've whether they got... I don't know how close this supposed base in Côte d'Azur would be to the nearest airport, whether they'd fly specifically everywhere. I'm sure they probably would. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think somewhere not too busy, but not too quiet, somewhere in the middle... Would have been better, but anyway, we'll see. Perhaps it's well planned out more than we know. You yeah. need to remember that we're talking about guys who are used to playing, th- uh, used to flying thousands of kilometers for the matches in the league. So I don't, yeah. I don't think this, this, this can't be. Um, they must be used to it. I'm sure these short flights of an hour or two is. A walk in the park for the Russian guys. Yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> like I said earlier, there's four third place places up for grabs that get you in the knockout stages. Russia, do you think if they... Well, where do you think they'll finish in the group? Do you think if they finish third, they could sort of compete with the other third places, if you see what I mean? Do you think they'd be a better third than some of the others? Yeah, I mean, I think the only worry for me is that because they're... It's all, well, by mathematically, it's harder to not qualify than qualify. I wonder whether it will it will make them take their foot off the pedal in the first game or two. That's the concern I would have because I think, oh, we've got the safety net of possibly making the the third place to get through. I do feel I do feel they have enough quality. However much we bemoan their their lack of ruthlessness over the last few years. Slutsky has got them playing better. He has got the momentum and the players all talk about the improved atmosphere in the squad. So as long as that keeps going, I think they will be as strong as anybody else. And for all we know, they they could end up winning the group. I'd be marginally surprised if they did. But if they did, then it would be proof that they have the quality that others don't perhaps appreciate. Yeah, more shocking things have happened than that. So who do you think would be sort of the their rivals for third place there in the tournament. Yeah, you mean in the group? Yeah, or... exactly, in the groups, in the separate groups. Yeah. it's If we say Russia finish third, I would, I would argue that they would be the strongest of the, of the third places in the, in the Euro. Of course, that depends on whether Spain or Italy or one of the big teams will fail and finish third. But I think if, if they go on to, to finishing third, they, will, they have decent chances of also of having a good tournament from there. The, the only thing I'm worried about is with the, this this group being very close, I, I still argue that finishing below third and not advancing from a group would be a, a, a disappointment. Yeah, Andrew, would you have any thoughts on the, the third places? Well, I, 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 I agree with Toker. I think if Russia finished third, then they, they would be, I would say, the strongest. I, I do think so. The expanded uh, European Championship finals groups is something I, I don't... I, it doesn't sit particularly well with me because the the merit of qualifying just is watered down for me. But on the other hand, it does give them a slight, slightly higher incentive to 
you know, to, so there won't be any dead rubbers in the tournament. I can't imagine there'll be any. But like I say, I think one win could potentially be enough, you know, depending on the other groups. But like Toka said, the closeness of this group could be could almost be Russia's downfall. I can easily see uh, a draw or two draws in there, which could put huge pressure on um, the last games. So it needs that Slovakia game is the key. I think, like we said, three points from there, and I'll be I'll be happy. I think. Okay, so just as the to wrap off the um, the Euro tournament, Toko, where do you think Russia will come in the group, and how far in the tournament can they go? I think they'll finish second, and if they do so, they're I think they can also move on from the first playoff round. So somewhere around the what will be the quarterfinals, I think that should be the that should be the goal. And I find it realistic as well. So if they finish second in Group B, it means they would play second in Group F. Yeah. So that and that be... would be. I mean, even if they face Portugal, they have beaten Portugal recently. So that's. I think they have definitely the opportunity to go to at least the quarterfinals. And Andrew, what about you? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Toko. I think quarterfinals should be the target. And, I mean, if it was a Portugal matchup in the uh, in the round of 16, then it would be it would be a good test because I would I would see Portugal as a, a similar level team. Quarterfinals would be a success, I would say. I don't think there's any need to push expectations higher than that. But, yeah, quarterfinals I'd be happy with, I'd say. Okay, perfect. I think that pretty much rounds off Euro 2016. So now we'll move on to uh, matters domestically. Quite a lot has happened down in South Russia at Kuban Krasnodar. Um, Quite a few listeners will remember them from their Europa League campaign a few years ago. were sort of the up-and-coming side in Russian football, but they have really gone off the the rails recently. Currently on their winter training camp in Cyprus, a couple of players uh, haven't flown out, uh, mainly Sergei Ignatiev, and Roman Pavlyuchenko, ex-Tottenham striker, was rumoured not to fly, but um, it has been... Pavlyuchenko has joined them now. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, he has. It is confirmed that he's joined them now. So, Kuban, of course, lots of money troubles. They signed... A uh, his name has escaped me. The uh, the guy from um... Filippo Santana. No, no, no. The guy, the Bulgarian. Oh, Gadjev, Gadjev, Vladimir Gadjev from Levski Sofia. That's it. He he signed, and now a week later has been asked uh, to, for his contract to be terminated. But then a few days later, they signed Filippo Santana on a two and a half year contract from Schalke, despite a registration ban. Toka, you wrote a, an article about this um, signing of Felipe Santana, really showing disrespect to uh, a lot of Kuban's players. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, of course. Uh, the signing of Santana, he's, he's obviously a huge name, having won two German titles and also being a part of the Dortmund squad who finished second in the Champions League a couple of years ago. But, yeah, I think, it's as you said, it's very disrespectful for, uh, towards the players who, who are already playing for the club. Most of the players haven't been... Um, been paid in a couple of months, some say even since uh, last summer. Pavlyuchenko and is owed $550,000, apparently. Exactly. And before that, before they signed um, Pavlyuchenko and Ashavin this summer, there were also problems in the spring where the players haven't been paid. So it's basically it's for more than a year that these players have gone around without being paid on a regular basis. And then, for some reason, when they finally find some money to, to sign Santana, they used the money on, on bringing in an expensive Brazilian instead of play, uh, paying the players who got them in the cup final last year and 
made them avoid relegation and everything. I think it's it's very disrespectful towards the players in the club already. At the same time, I had hoped that that Kuban's uh, financial problems could maybe be uh, a sign for better things to come, uh, like we saw with Dynamo having bringing uh, uh, through some young players, but that's doesn't seem to be the case at all. Instead, they're again spending the money on foreign players instead of bringing in young players. So yeah, I think this is a very bad signal to send to the club. And these players already considering leaving Kuban, I would, if it was me, I would say this was um, the straw that broke the camel's back, and I would get away from the club as far as uh, quick as possible. Do you not find it a bit patronising is the wrong word to the youngsters of Kuban that it takes a financial meltdown for them to be good enough to be included in the squad? You can say that, but this is Russia and <laughs> that has, uh, so far, it has proved to be the only thing effective to get young players to the <laughs> to, into the first teams. At least if you want a regular youth revolution where you get more than just a single guy who, who can sit on the bench now and then. There is news that Kuban governor Venian Kondriatyev has confirmed that Kuban will be financed by a new investor as the regional budget can no longer provide money for the team. That uh, investor is um, Novorossiment, whoever they are. So it'll be interesting to see how far that investment goes. Now, Andrew, it's particularly interesting. We've seen this before with clubs around the world. I mean, most people will be familiar with Barcelona having their registration ban. Kuban are in the similar situation, yet still sign Santana. It seems rather odd. Yeah, I mean, like Tokus says, I, I agree. It's very strange and like he says, very disrespectful. I mean, I can only assume they are gambling on being able to overturn their, their registration uh, in time for the spring. I mean, it would be nonsensical to sign him otherwise. For me, the lack of transparency, I mean, I'm used to I'm used to a little bit of lack of transparency living in Russia, but um, this is just madness. I mean, seeing the attacking spine of their side ripped out, it's, I can't believe they're allowing it to happen. I mean, Pavlichenko, I, I calculated his playing time and the money he's owed, and he, he's being paid three thousand, nearly three thousand dollars for every minute of playing time. It's not bad. That is alone it? should. It's, it's not a bad salary. I'll take it. Your checks are in um, the post, lads. Don't worry. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it's 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 bizarre. Um, I, they must be confident of overturning it, and perhaps the new investors you mentioned. Um, they they must they must know uh, about their capabilities, but uh, I would be a nervous Kuban fan right now. I really would. Yeah, Toko, we've seen a couple of players well attempting to leave the club, and one has left in Sergei Tkachayov. Uh, I cannot pronounce that. I do <laughs> I do apologise. He's now at CSKA in Moscow. And we've also got you know Sergei Ignatiev previously mentioned looking to leave Vladimir Gajev. Do you see them keeping hold of any of these players? It, it doesn't seem that way at the moment. I mean, even though we have now we have heard the rumours of a new investor, we still, when you look at the players like Belenov or Ignatiev, the only thing you read is that they have again filed complaints against the club and they are looking to leave. So it looks more and more like that at least uh, Ignatiev will move to Lokomotiv within the the near future. And then we also have the rumours of uh, Ibrahima Balde leaving and. Of course, Lorenzo Melgarejo leaving to Spartak. So it is really, as Andrew said, the spine of the team that is that could disappear this this winter. 
Yeah, just for um, listeners, there is a piece up on the Russian Football News website about the move of Ignatyev to uh, possibly moving to Lokomotiv. It's well worth checking out quite some interesting um, interpretations in there. So, can they even finish this season's fixtures with such money problems, Andrew, or do you think it's just a real hopeless cause? Well, I, I get the feeling they will find a way. How or how legally, I'm not entirely convinced, but... They, they have in the past had connections to the Armenian billionaire, Alieg Makrichin. Whether he, I don't know what his role is, it's so confusing. One minute he's investing, one minute he's pulled out. I think they will find a way. I'm sure they will complete the season. I mean, it's, it, it's beyond madness to sign Santana, like we mentioned, without, I, I'm surprised he signed himself. But they must have some reassurance to be able to say, look, this is what we our plan is, these are the people backing us. Um, I think they will, but if they, they've got to also avoid relegation, and that will be a real challenge for them now, especially if Mel Garejo and Ignatiev leave. Those two leave, I think they're down, and, and then, the, then their problems will really start. I think that's when the investors will, will pull out. I don't see how they would be attracted to staying in in the, the league below. So it's, it's not just off the field, it's, it's all their problems together. They've got to hold on to Melgarejo and Nativ to stand a chance, I think. Is it not a win-win situation for Santana, Toka? Because he's, he's still getting the money and either way he can leave. So he'll still get the, the big money that we assume Kubana paying him. But then he can always leave if things go wrong. If you look at it that way, then you can say, of course, it's a, if it's, it, it's a win-win. But looking at the history of Kuban, I'm not even sure he'll get his money. I mean, of course, they usually pay the foreigners on time while the Russians have to wait, but I don't see this as a win-win for him. I'm surprised a player with his history, even though he just had a failed stint in uh, Greece, I'm surprised a player with his history and level moved to, to a club like Kuban. I'm, I'm sure he had better better options, and I really don't understand why he picked Kuban Krasnodar at this moment. If it was two years ago, I would understand it, but not at this, not now. So, Andrew, what do you think has caused their fall from grace, apart from the lack of money. I mean, is there any other particular reason why this grace, well, fall from grace has happened? Well, I mean, I, I did a bit of reading into their, their backroom staff, and it was their sporting director, um, what's his name, Doroshenko, he's, he's quit and come back, or he's been sacked, he's come back. McCritchen's investment has been in, has been out. I think it's the the sheer lack of continuity that is causing the problems. And, and not just that, but I would go as far as to say the lack of intelligence, the lack of sense in their recruitment. It's easy to say with hindsight now that Pavlyuchenko and Arshavin signing them in the summer was, was a mistake. But I think even at the time, most people would have said, well, OK, even if you have got the investment to, to pay their, their wages, what's their motivation? You know, they, they've got some... They already have... The exciting players like Kachov, Ignatiev, even the the youngster Denis Yakuba is is, is showing showing himself to be okay. I think it's the the lack of decision making. So I think that's their main problem because the the financial problems have come from the the huge burden they've put on themselves. So I mean, Ashav and Pavlichenko together, that's costing four million euros a year, which is just beyond madness. So the decision making is their main problem. Yeah, it seems um, there's a lack of football people advising them. There's a lot of sort of dodgy businessmen around there. Token, I mean, 
like Andrew mentioned, they are in a relegation battle. Do you think they'll go down? And also, if they were to go down, do you th- can you see them falling through the leagues? I think uh, Kuban still has a um, have a very strong foundation in the in the local community around Krasnodar. Despite them being now the second team of Krasnodar, they're still well supported. And I think I don't I don't think we will see them fall completely through the ranks like we did with Torpedo. But yeah, if if they go to the FNL, we all, always say that it's the hardest league in the world. So if if they go down, it will be very difficult for them. But it's still very close in the bottom of the league. But I, I could see Kuban go down. And I don't think just because of the history, they are certain to stay up in any way. They really need to, to act smarter from now on. And I think actually Kuban is a perfect example of one of the main reasons in Russian football, from my view, is that it's the lack of visions. They simply lack long-term thinking. They look at the squad, they get a bit, a, a bit of money, and then, okay, now we sign Santana. And then... In a year from now, they'll find themselves in the same problems again, not able to to pay the players, and I think that's that's a major concern. They need to mm-hmm. to start thinking ahead instead of just going day to day all the time. Yeah, Andrew. I mean, it seems a bit ridiculous to ask this in this situation, but we can assume that contracts for players at the club will be terminated or they'll be sold. Do you envision sort of any signings, any major signings coming in? I, I really can't believe there will be. Anymore, I just don't see. I don't see where they will come from. I mean, I we talk about the decision making and planning. The contrast between Kuban and their neighbours Krasnodar could not be starker. I mean, Sergei Galitsky said he had a plan. He had a vision of building from youth level up, and they've they've spread their youth network across Krasnodar Krai, having to compete with Kuban. You know, a few years ago, and okay, it might take a bit of time for you know, more youngsters to come through into Krasnodar's team, but they certainly seem to have, their their recruitment is infinitely, infinitely more efficient. You know, bringing in Smolov on a free, bringing in Vyacheslav Podboroskin from Ural, that was, okay, they were sneaky, getting around the, the transfer ban by, you know, asking him to help cancel his contract with Ural, but, you know, that shows now, so it shows whether it's above board or not, They've got what they needed, and it was the right thing to do. They didn't spend any money on him, so I, it's. I can't believe they'll bring anybody else in. If they do, then they, they don't deserve to stay up, in my opinion. Some some harsh words there from Mr. Flint. <laughs> what I, what I will say is that they on the camp in Cyprus um, just read this this morning that there was a mini tournament between the players. Players were uh, divided into three teams: red, blue, and green. And the winners of that tournament included Yevgeny Frolov, Filipe Santana, the new signing, Stanislav Manolayev, Manolayev, sorry, uh, Mohamed Rabiu, Sergei Karet, uh, Karetnik, Andrei Arshavin, and Ibrahim Abalde. Now, apparently, Felipe Santana was quite impressive during this tournament, sort of organising the players himself and sort of acting as a bit of a captain. And even Russian legend Andrei Shavin has noticed that he perfectly understands the team and feels everybody around him, whatever whatever that means. So hopefully, I mean, we'll see. I mean, we'll probably find that his contract cancelled next week, to be honest. But we'll see how, how that one ends. Now, we were discussing off-air this morning about a situation that occurred yesterday between Rostov and Ural. Token, do you want to just sort of give us a bit of light on this situation? It concerns um, Alexander Yerokhin, who is highly rated by many. Yeah, he was um, yesterday. Rostov announced on Twitter that they had signed him. And then a few minutes later, Ural answered 
on Twitter as well, saying that Jurokin was still a, uh, playing for Ural until after this season, and his contract expires in in this this summer. So right now we don't really know if he plays for Rostov or or not, but I can assume that he'll join join them after the season. But it's it's an it's a funny situation with with that not being stated anywhere and being the, those sort of uncertainties. Yeah, despite it being announced that he has already signed, Andrew, it's surely going to be a Bosman move in the summer. But perhaps Rostov got a bit of a reputation for loaning players for the second half of the season. Can you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think I think it's quite an important window for Yerokin because beginning of the season he was he was on fire and he's obviously a quality player. He's got technique um, and could, in my opinion, he could fit into most teams in the league. Rostov might be actually a very smart move for him, um, but I think he ought to move at least on loan fairly soon because I have a soft spot for Udell, but I see them running into problems with the loss of Bobrovskin. And if he went to, there's still no striker they signed uh, and they, they concede a shocking amount of goals despite Fontanello being a hero for them. I think it would be a smart move for him to get some playing time at the other end of the table. I say the other end, you're at the table at the moment, but I, I'm worried about the direction they're heading in. So I think it would be a good time for him to to, to make a move. Uh, and I, I predict he will. I think he will end up moving. Yeah, Toker, it would be a massive loss for Ural if Yerokin left. Do you think that would make them slip down the table? Yeah, definitely, but... We also need to remember that he has been—he uh, was injured for the second half of the of the fall season, and even though they fell a bit further down the table, they still managed to get some get some good a good amount of points. And as Andrew said, of course they'll struggle massively without him. But I think he'll—I I think he'll leave this this winter. Ural have already stated that whenever they can sell a player, they'll sell him instead of letting him go for free. So I think I could see him leave for Rostov later this winter. But of course, Rostov also have a, a registration ban at the moment, so that's that's sort of the <laughs> problematic for them. Yeah, we'll probably see that lifted at the, at the end of the window along with two bands, <laughs> I imagine. There'll be somewhere around that, some back pockets will get filled. It's quite interesting with Jorkin, because like according, contract expires at the end of the season, probably going to move on the cheap, and actually I think quite a few clubs are missing a trick by not signing Jorkin. A lot of focus on Kokorin, but I think some clubs in other leagues should and probably could have looked a bit more at Jorokin. Now, to the the next, well, the final topic, I think, of this podcast, we've got the the top 50, the Russian Football News top 50 players in the Russian Premier League, compiled, as I said earlier, by Mr. Andrew Flint. Andrew, I mean, I'll come to you first on the top 50 there. Any surprises for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, Hulk, I think we all knew he would be voted top player and I think the most interesting thing for us was to see in what order the rest of the you know the top 10 um, or the bigger names would be in Kokorin he came in at 25th I believe yeah um, which was it was yeah there we go yeah which I think we were all a little a little surprised with I, I actually did vote him even lower than that but I was particularly surprised that Odil Akhmedov didn't even make our top 50 yeah, he's. I like. I like his classic style, but it was. It was really hard work. I'll be honest. I think being democratic, how we did it, was probably the best way. But there were there were certainly some differences in opinions between between our team of writers for for some players. So 
yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. But uh, yeah, we'll see if people agree with us. Same again next year. I'll just read the top 10 down. If listeners want to look at the website, you can find the entire top 50 in different sections. And the writers have done a little sort of a, well, a quick paragraph on each player so you can learn a bit more about the players that you don't know about and sort of bring yourself a bit more into Russian football. I'll read the top 10 in reverse also from 10 to 1. Number 10 is Seydou Dumbia. Number 9, Fyodor, Fyodor Smolov, who Andrew's a big fan of. Um, 8, Zoran Tosic. 7, Ezekiel Garay. 6, Alex Shatov. 5, Axel Witzel. Number 4 is Niase at Lokomotiv. Number 3 is Artem Zuba. Number two, Quincy Promise, and number one, Hulk. I mean, I will say that every writer voted Hulk as their number one, which says a lot about him. I mean, you did an article about Hulk recently and how he's drastically improved in the Premier League. Do you want to just explain a bit about what you wrote about? Yeah, of course. It's it's Basically, it's been since Senet hired Milos Boas as a new coach. He has turned into more of a team player. He's just not the shooting menace we knew him from before where he shoots every time he gets the ball. He He's actually more of a, a team player now. And, and when we look at his, his stats, he has made eight goals this season and 12 assists. And that's that's very interesting because he's no longer just a, a goal scorer. He is the um, actually the player with the most assists in the league at this moment. So he has proved um, to be very valuable. And he has really developed a lot in the past two years, I think. Sort of a transition period for him. Yeah. On a very positive note. Yeah, Andrew, number second, Quincy Promise there of Spartak. A lot of people won't have heard of him, but signed for quite a lot of money by Spartak from the Dutch League in the summer. Do you want to just explain how he's got on in Russia? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, his his obvious characteristics are his his pace and and his strength. He he has a real confidence in himself. Um, he makes things happen, and. He scored, is it 10 or is it even 12 goals? Is he, no, hang on a second. He's got 10 goals this season, I he's believe. He's top scorer. Um, top scorer, yeah. He's, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a goal-scoring winger. He's, he really could, he could play for uh, arguably a higher, uh, at a higher level. But he, he's so important to Spartak's momentum. Zuba going to Zenit was... It was potentially a long-term big loss, but I think Promise's energy is is crucial to them. He's a really exciting player, and yeah, I think Bartak are very lucky to hold on to him. Whether he'll stay beyond the summer, uh, I, I wonder whether he might be he might be picked up by by somebody in the summer. But if they keep him, they've done well. So, Tucker, I'm talking about the surprises here. Is there anyone in particular that surprised you in the the list in general? I would say that I thought Niasa from Lokomotiv is uh, is ranked a bit too high. I don't see him as the fourth best player in the league. Linked and, with Chelsea. Um, linked with Chelsea. I, I don't even think I believe those rumours, to be honest. But he's a, he's a very good striker, and he has been very impressive ever since uh, Cherichenko took over Lokomotiv. But ranked fourth in the league, I know his statistics are very good, and his uh, amount of goals and assists and everything. But I still think that players like uh, Witzel or Shatov Garay they are more impressive than him, than him. So who would you move inside of that top 10 that's that's a bit lower? I would move uh, Roman Eromenko from CSK. He's only ranked... 17th. 17th, yeah. I would maybe even rank him in the top 5. I think he's an incredible player. And we saw both last season, but also this season, how, how good he is for CSK. And when he got injured, that was around the same time that CSK started losing their momentum. 
Yeah, Andrew, anybody outside of that top ten that you think should be in there? I think Igor Smolnikov, uh, I mean, he's only just outside, I guess he's, what, 12th? Yeah, 12th. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and I think he's very important to how Zenit play, allowing the front three to be more fluid. He gets forward and supports them, but his fitness is, is incredible. I, I also... Another right back. I'm a I'm a big fan of Mario Fernandez as well. Although having said that, he he does. I I wonder whether he has enough positional sense to to merit it. So perhaps perhaps Smolnikov I would have chosen. I think we're always going to disagree with each other on some things on these matters. Maybe even Pontus Vernbloom. I notice I voted him quite low, and I think I. I would I would have voted him high if I thought fought again now because I think he's so apology. crucial to. I'm sorry, Pontus. I'm I did see him once, but uh, he didn't look at me. So I'm looking at the at the spreadsheet right now where we have the um, have the votes, and I see that Ilya and I are the only two persons who had Pontus Van Blom in the top ten. I thought this was an anonymous vote. You've given it away. <laughs> <laughs> and I think maybe maybe I've done enough to to highlight my fellow Scandinavians by uh, by now with Eremenko uh, and and Van Blom. But I I agree with Andrew. I think he should be in the top ten, and. I, I actually think he's the best defensive midfielder in, in Russia. Yeah. Mamayev, would you rank high? We spoke very highly of him earlier. Yes, definitely. He, he is a, I had him ranked at around 8, I think. So his, his um, placement outside of the top 20, that's, that's a mistake in my mind. I think he should be maybe not in the top 10, but at least very close to. And Andrew, this is now going to sound incredibly harsh, but is there anybody in that top 50 that you think, why are you there? <laughs> well, oh, this is going to sound harsh. When I first saw Alan Kasayev, I thought he's clearly got a huge amount of ability. But I, I've seen that he he drifts out of games in such a frustrating way that I would almost say I would almost say him. He's clearly got ability. He could be so much more, and that's what frustrates me about him. So I'd possibly pick him if anybody. He's down in number forty-two um, for the listeners, by the way. Yeah, possibly Kasayev. It's a bit harsh, I guess, but but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd pick him, I think, at the moment. Turka, anybody for you? It, yeah, it's difficult. I think maybe maybe Ari from uh, Krasnodar. I think Andrew said it earlier. We really need to make room for Odal Akhmedov from, from Krasnodar, and I think Ari would be the player I would leave out of this top 50. Yeah, I'm looking at number 50 here, Ilya Maximov plays for Angie quite important to what Angie do but is he in that top 50 bracket do you think Andrew well I mean I I voted him very highly compared to everyone else I saw him last season in Jumen that game was it was almost called off because of a snowfall and I just thought this is going to be a terrible game and it was the first time I'd seen him play well certainly even an entire match and I thought he just had so much intelligence on the ball I I I'm a big fan of that type of player. Not necessarily a huge amount of pace, but his, his thought was way ahead of everybody else on the pitch. And I, I, I would say so. But then, you know, we all have our personal favourites. I, I think he has the intelligence to be there. So I would say so. Yeah, Tucker, what about your verdict on Maximov? No, I, I agree with Andrew. I think he has, he has been very important for, for Anshu this season. And I definitely think he belongs in the, in the top 50. Maybe not very high up in the top 50, but at least in the top 50. 
Okay, so the, the final section we've decided to come on to is transfers. It's transfer time in Russia. Despite their long winter break, it's, of course, January transfer window, so a lot of time to build up the squads and bring them out to their training camps in various hot places around the world. Uh, Zenit are in Dubai, for example. That's very nice, escaping the cold there. They're a couple of weeks ago, minus 25, so nice to sort of a bit of a 40-degree temperature change at least. Andrew, any particular transfers you've got your eye on? I'll, I'll start with Udal because they're, they're the team I follow most closely. They desperately need a striker. It's just, it's just painful to watch them without a frontline man. So I, I know they sent Carlos Strandberg back to Tierska. His treatment was awful, I think. How he didn't get any playing time at all, almost, is, is beyond me. Well, I'd like to see Strandberg come back and be given a chance. I know it's not going to happen because he's been sent back now, but I don't see Sierska playing him. And he's clearly got the quality, and it would be a win-win for him. You know, he's a young guy. If it didn't work out completely, well, he's he's got his age to point to. But if it did, he could force himself into the reckoning at Sierska next season. And, I mean, whether there's something behind the scenes we don't know about, OK, perhaps he's um, caused some trouble somehow. But uh, I'd like to see him being given a real chance. And Udell was the perfect fit, as I, as I predicted in the summer, um, except they didn't use him, so they should, they should listen to me more. Yeah, they should, they should get on the phone to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Toko, what about any sort of rumours you've heard flying around? I think the, the most interesting thing at the moment is which striker Spartak will sign. They sold or they loaned out a musician yesterday back to the American League. I believe he went to... Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. So they really need to bring in a striker now. And of course, the, the hottest rumor is that they'll sign Mel Gafejo from Kuban Krasnodar, as we talked about earlier. And I have to be honest, I'm not sure that's a, that's a good signing. He has been very impressive this season, but I also have the feeling that he is at the, the top of his career right now, at the peak, and that they will pay a lot of money for a player who can not continue to perform on this level, as he has done in the, in the fall. Yeah, Andrew, do you see any big ins or outs of, of Russia, so coming from foreign leagues or going to foreign leagues? I think Nyase leaving might might happen because I think, well, in a similar way to what Toka just said about Mel Gorejo, I think Nyase is at the top of his, his game. I don't think he has much more technical ability to show. He's, he's all about pace and energy and, you know, while the iron's hot, I think striking a move to a European league would be would, would make sense for him. I like the idea of Kokorin to England, though, simply to see if... Is that just so you can criticise him when it goes wrong? <laughs> well, I'd like to see him go to Arsenal and uh, make Arsenal fail, but... No, I, I think it would be... I, I want to see Russians tested abroad, and seeing as he is at the top of the young crop of Russian players, that's the one I'd like to see, although I think Nyase is more likely to leave, if anybody. Anybody incoming that you can think of, Toka, that you've heard on the grapevine? No, there haven't been many... Big name rumors. We have, of course, there are always those obscure rumors of Freddy Gorin going oh, to Senate. Ridiculous! And... That's. I think that rumor has been doing the rounds for about four years. Exactly. We, <laughs> we hear about it every year, and I'm sure we'll also hear about uh, Mutinius to Senate soon as well. I mean, that's that is always going around ever since <laughs> ever since Villas Boas came. But but no, it's, I, I think it's it, it, this season or this uh, window will be will be a bit quiet. I don't. Not many teams have the money to bring in big names, but of course, if Lokomotivs uh, sell Niasa, for example, they will have to, to bring in a new striker. CSK also needs to bring in a new striker. There were some rumors about Luis Adriano from Milan, but then he 
he went to China instead. But I think much will depend on whether or not the club sells some players for for a good amount of money before they can actually buy players. Well, um, I I tell you one one area of transfer movement that I would like to see more of is from the lower leagues. Um, I mean, it, it would tear me up inside to see him leave, but Daniel Klionkin from my club, FK Tumen, is he's, he's a wonderful player with energy and vision, and he's played all across the midfield. He's even played out wide at times. He's got intelligence. And I actually think he would be a good signing for Udal, because if Jurokin did go, he could fill that role. He could fill the number 10. He could fill the, the double pivot role. And I, I would like to see more of that movement, because I think that might be the way the transfer market goes in Russia, given the financial situation, the restrictions, the, <laughs> the registration ban on half the league. I think the seeing more movement within Russia would be interesting. Um, here would be my, my tip from the FNL, uh, much as I don't want him to go. You heard what, it what here first. Him? What about Delkin from Gasovic? He has scored 16 goals in 24 matches. Surely yeah. he, he will also be interesting for some of the Premier League clubs. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. He, he came to, to Tumen before last season, and he didn't succeed at Tumen because he was, well, he was played, he was too isolated up front on his own. And we, it meant we moved our captain, Hassan Mamtov, to the left wing, and he doesn't have a great deal of pace, Mamtov. So, it meant Delkin didn't get a lot of service, but he's clearly got a lot of ability. I know that Chumen spent three months negotiating with Clelia to, to bring him in when he came on loan. So, uh, yeah, he could be one to, to move up too. Do you think that these, I mean, we talk about these players in the lower leagues, but it seems that the Premier League clubs are in their sort of a quite a precarious position at the moment. Not, I mean, you said the finances would allow them to bring in the younger players, but I'm thinking more in terms of league position. Quite a crucial time of the season when trying to go into spring, trying to fit in new players who haven't been tested at the level before. Do you think maybe it's more of a, a summer move that these things will happen? Yeah, I think, I think you're probably right about that. I think it is more, it is more of a summer move situation. So what clubs do, what their approach is, will be will be very telling. I mean, based on their current record, I I wouldn't want to guess what Kuban will do um, for the rest of the window. But um, I wouldn't want to guess what they're doing tomorrow. <laughs> it would be virtually impossible to get it spot on. I think I, I still I still would be interested to see what would happen if maybe Jelkin or no no Kleonkin can't go. He can't go. He's too important to Chiman. But. Um, if Jelkin did go, I'd be interested to see if he could take that step up because he's he's in his mid twenties now and he's not quite made the break yet. So he's got the quality. Would he have the mentality? It'd be interesting. Yeah. Further rumor is that the exodus is continuing at Dinamo and Yuri Zhirkov, which Chel- who Chelsea fans will remember, former title winner at CSKA, is apparently on the verge of moving to Zenit which is certainly another one. But uh, Tokar, I was going to come to you on Sado Dumbia. Is there any progress on that move? Because we know he's um, on loan from Roma at the moment. Is there any progress for a permanent transfer? No, he has returned to Rome now. He's, uh, he's not with CSK anymore. And by the looks of it, after what I've heard, is that Roma are looking to sell him permanently to get some of the money they spend on him back. And CSK simply can't afford him at the moment. I think it's, it's over for him, and I don't think he'll play in, the, in Russia in the spring. I've heard some rumors about him going to England or China, maybe even. So yeah, that's that's why I mentioned that CSK needs to bring in a new striker because Dumbia is now no longer with them. 
Okay, so I think that brings the end of this uh, Russian football news podcast, the first one of 2016. I'd like to once again thank uh, Turkan, our uh, editor. It's always a pleasure, Thomas. Lovely, thank you. And Andrew and Humen, have a good evening for the, for you because it, you're quite late there now. Oh, it is. It's an honour as always, Thomas. Thank you. Yeah, lovely. Okay, so everybody, hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Do subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud or whatever. Uh, keep looking at the website. We've got things going up on there every day. So, like I said, keep reading, keep subscribing, and hopefully you'll join us next time. Thank you. Oh,